Welcome to Sharing My Truth with Mel and Susie, the uncensored version, where we bear it all. We do. <laughs> Everyone and welcome back to Sharing My Truth Pod. You're here with Mel and Susie. <laughs> Did I just blow an eardrum? I'm sorry. Yes. Jesus Christ. I'm just pretty excited because we just had an amazing interview with a real life doctor of psychology mm-hmm. and sexual health, Dr. Katrina Bouchard. Mm-hmm. And I'm pretty excited about it. How it did was, you feel about it? It was a fantastic conversation. Yeah. And I think she, for our male and female audience, yes, in the audience, as it were. It will really help you because she studies sexual desire, right? It's, she was extremely informative on just the desire, low libido, which mm-hmm. obviously comes into desire. Yeah. And um, yeah, why that might affect. And she obviously, she's um, ex, she's an expertise in vulvas, but she sees couples. Yes. And she's obviously, she she just is a doctor, so she knows. She's not a medical doctor, but she's, she's a, a doctor of psychology. Yeah, she's a PhD. She's a big PhD, so she's a pretty bad bitch. She definitely is. It's pretty impressive. Yeah. Um, but yeah, she's a registered psychologist. She's an assistant professor at UBC. Um, and in or she's an assistant professor at UBC in the Department of Obstetric. What do you fucking say? Obstetric. Obstetrics. Very good. Thank you so much. Wow, I need to go to this obviously school. Um, obstetrics of gyne- I'm just gonna say that again. She's a registered psychologist and an assistant professor in the department of obstetrics. That's very good. Thank you. And gynecology. Very good. At UBC. Yes. And, and she's she- Oh, uh, I'm sorry. I was gonna. I'm just. I'm just. I just wanted to talk about um, that. She's the director of the psychology, health, and sexuality laboratory at UBC, and it's called the Phase Lab with PH. Yes. And that she studies it, and that's what we were so interested in. Yeah. How do you do that? How do you study it? Like, and I had to ask, I was like, do you have like people like masturbating mm-hmm. in your lab? Which, but cut, she kind question. of does. Like, she kind mm-hmm. of like, you're look, she, people, I mean, you'll, you guys will listen to the mm-hmm. episode, which she'll talk about it. She has a better job of describing it than I do, but mm-hmm. it's just very interesting. It's very interesting. And also, fun fact before you listen to the interview, mm-hmm. that Canada is at the forefront of this. <gasps> it's so cool. I was so happy to hear yeah, that. Which is because, very cool. Because we have just, we're a much more sexually open country than, let's Apparently. say, the US, which is, I mean, yeah. Apparently so. So that's very interesting. But listen, because male or female, and even if you're, if you are in a couple where there are issues, like with your sex life, sexual desire, mm-hmm. whoever's having those issues, or not, I think it's actually very informative things to like think about um, if if something is is not going right or when to do something and so on. So I think that's really, really helpful. Yeah. And she actually, if you guys listen to the end of the episode, she talks about an opportunity um, mm-hmm. for some free couples therapy about specifically about like low libido and sexual desire. Yeah. So um, listen to the end of the episode and you can see if you can qualify for that amazing study because I'm jealous and I want to be, Definitely. I just want to hang out with her. Of course you're jealous. With Dr. Bouchard. She's so cool. You want to be in her studies. I do. Yeah. Anyways, yes, obviously. <laughs> but anyway, we'll link it all and so that you can, if yes. you're interested, you you can uh, look at that. But anyway, listen. It's listen very interesting. And enjoy. Yeah. Till next time. Okay. 
Okay, amazing. Thank you so much, Dr. Katrina, for um, joining us on this very special day. Um, We're thrilled to be speaking with you. I know you have um, done such incredible and amazing research um, in your field, uh, the field being psychology of sexual desire. And you can stop me if I'm wrong. You're nodding, which is a yes, which is great. Um, (laughs) I am going to get you um, to introduce yourself uh, just to our audience, um, maybe some special things about um, what you do on a day to day and, you know, what we should probably know about the basics of psychology and sexual desire. I'm absolutely fascinated. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. It's my pleasure to be here and meet you both. Um, So I'm Dr. Katrina Bouchard. I am the director of the Psychology, Health and Sexuality Lab at the University of British Columbia in Vancouver. Um, And I am also an assistant professor at the University of British Columbia. So I'm a researcher and I study women's sexuality um, Mm -hmm. as well as vulvar health in women and people with vulvas. And so my day-to-day really looks like um, a lot of research and a lot of working with graduate students and postdocs and things like that to do research on female sexuality. Um, I also practice as a registered psychologist. So I work with folks who have pain during sex, folks who have low desire, and also people who have sexual concerns after cancer treatments. Um, mm-hmm. And then I do a little bit of teaching as well. So lots of hats, and I enjoy wearing all of them. That's really amazing. Um, And I think a lot of people have a lot of questions like we do, obviously, um, about women. Obviously, that's your speciality is or people with vulvas um, and their sexual desires, because we we talk about this all the time. My my, Mel and myself about Mm -hmm. like, you know, sometimes we like something and the next day we don't. Right. Um, Right. Where it's like we're changing our minds all the time. It might be hormones. It might be something. Maybe you can start us off there. Like what is what is with us? (laughs) Totally. So sexual desire ebbs and flows, right? So something that is going to be really appealing and and capture sexual interest one day might not be the exact same the next day. And so a lot of this matters on the context and the cues. So just like any type of, you know, um, emotional experience. Sometimes you're really feeling a certain activity, whether it's like exercise, let's say you're really feeling going for a run versus doing yoga, like we like different things on different days. And desiring sexual activity is really no different. Um, So I, I think that that's totally within the scope of what's typical and what's healthy to desire different things. Of course, um, desire ebbs and flows across the lifespan. So sometimes there's this idea that um, wanting sex is like a drive that should always be high and you should always want sex. And so that's not really um, the case. Desire can go up and down and that can be totally healthy. Um, So certainly there's a lot of variability in terms of people's interests, in terms of their desire for sex, for different sexual activities. Very cool. Um, Interesting. Yeah. Does and a question? Does it differ or in your research? I know it's focused on women, but what is the difference between men and women? I know we're constantly trying to understand this as human beings, but what's the key difference? Totally. So there is this really popular conception out there that men's and women's sexual desire is so different. Oftentimes there is a view that like men have high sex sexual desire, women have lower sexual desire. There's a lot of differences 
like between men and women, but also within men and women. So it's not just like one or the other. Um, But what can be an important difference is the types of sexual desire that that folks experience. So Mm. a lot of what we think about when we think about desire is this spontaneous urge of like being horny, jumping somebody's bones, like (laughs) feeling that intense desire. And that just sort of comes out of nowhere. Mm -hmm. But that's not necessarily how everyone experiences desire and certainly not after a relationship goes on for a while. Um, Then responsive desire can sort of come into the picture where you're not necessarily feeling like this automatic all of a sudden feeling of wanting to have sex. But when a sexual situation is evolving, you sort of can feel into it and want more and be interested. So that's that responsive piece. And often that resonates more with women where they're saying, I'm not feeling that jumping bones sort of feeling in a longer term partnership, but I am like into pleasurable sex and I do want to have it. So that's more that responsive piece. Mm -hmm. I mean, that makes so much sense. Like Mel and I obviously have both been in long term, hers a little bit longer than mine, um, Mm -hmm. but um, long term relationships. And yeah, I mean, obviously it's not like the spark of love fades, but yeah, your sexuality and the way you're like, Mm, I don't really feel like it. I'm pretty tired, but you still, you still want to get off. And that's really, that's really tough for women. Cause I think we sometimes can confuse that with a low libido. Um, right. And yeah. yeah. Does that like, do a lot of people come to you with like that low libido thought? And then you're like, well, no, you've just kind of been with your partner or how does that usually go? Definitely. Totally. So because the way that we see desire portrayed is this spontaneous feeling. And often when people start relationships, they feel that intense sort of chemistry feeling of lots of desire. And if that changes, then it can sort of make you feel like, well, maybe something's wrong. Something's Mm -hmm. shifted here. You know, it's sort of like a human nature thing to try to explain why a change has happened. Um, So certainly people can come in and be really concerned about their desire and, and we can have a look at it. Um, but sometimes it's a shift that is totally okay and manageable through looking at desire a little bit differently. Mm-hmm. And and why is it then that society is very focused, like you talked about um, spontaneous desire, we seem to be very focused on that male and female, and very focused on this idea of, of, the, of, desire like not you know that you should be all if, if, if it's not like hot in the relationship then there's something wrong and that if you actually have to sort of work at it whether that's scheduling or becoming aroused or whatever that there's something ultimately wrong with that connection with that person and that I don't think that's the case but per from personal point of view but what why do you think then we're so focused on that in society I think that there's a couple of reasons. One is we, as humans, we we learn a lot through observing. And since we don't get to observe a lot of people's sex lives, for the most part, some sometimes maybe, but uh, for the most part not, then we go off of, you know, like Hollywood depictions of sex. And mm-hmm. so a lot of our ideas around sex are based off of fiction. Right. And so they're written as fictional and it doesn't necessarily match up with mm-hmm. what people actually experience. And if all this sexual exposure you have is your sex life and then Hollywood, you're going to have like this big 
potential gap of, of the way right. things actually are. And then the other part is like we were talking about when new relationship energy is there and there is a lot of spontaneous desire that helps maybe bond people together. It's that change or that shift. Another thing that can come up is if people have kids, like desire can go down because of all these extra pressures and demands and hormonal changes. And so there's this feeling of like loss or shift that can be really challenging for people to grapple with. Um, so I think that's a part of where it comes from. Um, okay. And then the third, I guess I'll just say one more thing is that often with sexuality, we take a male centric view. So mm-hmm. we sort of um, even in research view like men as the default and then try to apply copy paste to women and mm-hmm. that doesn't always fit so if Definitely men identify not. more with the spontaneous mm-hmm. then that's not necessarily true for all women or even all men right okay yeah so are you seeing obviously like your specialty is in um, people with vulvas, but you do speak to obviously men and women and whoever on the binary. Um, in your psychology, yes, you speak to kind of all walks of life. Yeah. So I do a lot of couple work. And okay. so oftentimes um, women are partnered with men. So I'll see men and women as couples. Yeah. All, all folks. Along. Amazing. And then, mm-hmm. so are you seeing like a certain age um, where there's people coming in um, to see you or you're like, they're like, I have a low sex drive. Why do I have a low sex drive? And are these people younger than we should be expecting that they are? Or what's your what's your take on the on the age there? Yeah, so definitely. So I did a, a study on low, a treatment for low sexual desire recently. So we created a couple therapy and tested it out in in a sample Uh, a small sample. It was a pilot study, but we're going to expand on it. And for that, we had people across the whole age range who were interested from like 20s, late 20s to early 70s. So it really can run the gamut. But in my practice in BC, I see a lot of folks um, in their 40s. I see a lot of folks after cancer treatment and, and a lot of them are in their 30s, 40s range with gynecologic cancers like cervical cancer. So I don't think low desire is a particular age group issue, right. um, although there are those vulnerable periods of postpartum and then also postmenopause can be another sort of recalibration period for sexuality. I kind of love how you say that, like the recalibration, like I'm just getting tuned up. Right. You know <laughs> exactly. Yeah, Great. it's all about framing. Yeah, in, in yeah. my line of work. Yeah, I love that. But I think it, it, it's also I think it's the pressure, right? If I think of myself, um, you know, I've had children, and so you, I got married in my late twenties. I had children. I was working, still am, and you know, there's lots of pressures with that. And you have young children, and you know, your husband, my husband, was traveling a lot, and then now I'm in menopause. So you've gone through all these kind of different things, and it does change. But there still is a pressure that you feel from within, from yourself, like what's wrong with me or why am I not always consistently the same or whatever. And then pressures from outside. And I don't know whether that's because a lot of people are lying about what they're actually doing. (laughs) Um, And and like you said, they sort of live in this Hollywood fantasy world that they're not actually living in. Because if they were actually doing that, I don't know when they're doing it because there's only 24 hours in the day. Right. Um, yes. But that we don't, even as women, I find it very confusing that we, we all sort of, why do we not understand this about each other? Like there's a, such a, a huge amount of shame about 
low desire, low libido that, you know, we know as women, our hormones, like we know the muscles in, intrinsically, if you don't know much about it, that you're going to have ebbs and flows and why you just sort of go, oh no, and you just shove it under the rug. Don't mm -hmm. talk about it. Then there's problems in your relationship and on it goes and you see the story happening time and time again. Yes, definitely. Um, and when women come and see you, are they at a point where they're sort of at the end of the, are they coming because they feel it? Are they feeling pressure from their relationship and they're at the end of their, like, I don't know what to do? Um, is it, is it a cross, a cross section or? It, it can be a mix of factors. So I think to, to your point about the shame, about the negative emotions around it, I think a lot of that can come from relationship pressure, but in the sense of, you know, people want to do well by their partner. So if you, mm -hmm. if you're partnered with a person who wants to have a lot more sex than you, then there ends up being what we call a desire discrepancy. Right. So that's not necessarily that one partners right in high desire and wrong in low desire or vice versa. It's a difference. Mm. Um, and so this is the most common reason yeah. people come to sex couple therapy is a desire discrepancy um, that people can definitely learn to navigate. Um, mm -hmm. But I think that shame and difficulty comes out of feeling not good enough, feeling less than and feeling like you're letting your partner down if you're in a monogamous relationship. Um, certainly right. I have seen couples where there was seemingly potentially more kind of pressure from the partner to work on this, but typically, um, the women with low desire are also really distressed by it because mm -hmm. wanting to have a sexual relationship to support your partner and your overall relationship is a valid reason yeah. um, to want to work on something as well. So it can be really self-focused, even single people um, who are sexually active with themselves or with casual sex partners, or it can be really relationship-focused. Mm -hmm. it, it really varies. Interesting. I okay. love that. I mean, I really want to take us back to, I know you brought up your lab, mm -hmm. um, your research, which I think is so cool. Um, <laughs> and I think Mel, when Mel and I were speaking about it um, before this interview, we're like, "What is the what is a sexual lab, and is it full of dildos? Like, what, what is in the lab? You know, like, even are you having people there? Just, yeah, are you having like, people just like masturbate on like in like some kind of a weird corner, and and then you have another couple over here? I don't know. Like, I'm just my mind is going wild. That's the right way now. her mind works. <laughs> the yeah. mind is going wild. So yes, um, I do uh, sexual arousal research as part of my overall research. And so what a lab will typically look like in a university um, when you're when you're doing sexual arousal research is like there's obviously variety, but common features, it typically looks like bringing someone into the lab, showing them some type of sexual videos, sometimes audio stories or different formats, um, and asking them, you know, how turned on they feel, how aroused they feel by the mm -hmm. material. So it's oftentimes before and after or during the video itself. Um, I also do work in genital arousal assessment. So the physical side of arousal, there's different ways to do that, but I use laser Doppler technology. So picture a weather map. Okay. So all the colors, um, mm -hmm. and then that is what we assess in vulvar blood flow. So the vulva will create like a color image with like blues and greens and yellows and reds to show the different amounts of blood flow in the genitals in response to a sexual film. 
Um, so that this is so cool. I want to be one of your subjects. Oh. I think you're going to be disturbed. <laughs> she definitely so literally would love that. That's so fun. And what do you do? Like, I, I don't want to say this from a place of ignorance, but what do you do with that research? I mean, obviously, yeah. I think it's very valid. But what what does that help with other than the psychology of helping, you know, helping people? Mm-hmm. What What is the the aim of it? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, certainly. So um, a lot of sexual arousal research has helped us understand human sexual response. So it's a way to understand, you know, how does different parts of arousal unfold? Like, what is the relationship between mental arousal and physical arousal? Is it mm-hmm. closely connected? Is it loosely connected? How does that differ between men and women? So there's a lot of things that we can learn about the basics of sexual response. So that's kind of one part. And then when we learn those basics, we can create models of sexual response. And then we can understand and teach people about sexual responding, which until really the last 30 or 40 years, we didn't know much of anything about from Mm -hmm. research. Um, I mean, maybe more f- like 50 years now. Um, wow. And so we can also bring people in the lab who have sexual difficulties and compare their responses to people who aren't having sexual difficulties. So it's both basic research to understand human sexuality. And then it's also clinical research to look at um, whether treatments make changes in sexual response, whether there are group differences. So there are lots of applications that ultimately we're trying to help people with sexual difficulties. Wow. Can I just ask you, like, how did you get into all this? Yeah, what? That's what I was thinking. Like, what, what made you be like, wow, I just really want to research yeah. sexual desires in people. Like, what wow. a cool thing to just make. Yeah, yeah, like just make your uh, theme of your entire research. Like, please tell me everything about your background. I think it was right place, right time. So when I was an undergraduate student at Queen's University in Ontario, um, I took an intro to clinical psychology class and it was taught by a sex researcher. And so the like module on sex research, I was like, whoa, this is so cool. Um, and then I took a human sexuality class in my third year. And again, I was just like so interested and it was my favorite class by far. So then I just sort of like kept going further. I did my honors thesis, which is what you do in fourth year of undergrad. Um, I did an arousal study and then I just kept going and going and seeking out opportunities to do this work. And Canada is actually a really great place to do sex research. I love to Um, hear that. Yeah, because our funding bodies are open to sex research. Mm -hmm. So you can propose a a study on sexual pleasure and you can receive funding to do that versus the States. It's a little more challenging. It has to be more couched in risk or health sort Mm -hmm. of like HIV related things like that. Um, That we have like such a high concentration of sex researchers per capita, if you will, in Canada. So it's really nice. I didn't know that. That's fascinating. That's awesome. I'm proud to be Canadian. Yes. It's amazing, isn't That's it? That's so interesting. I find that fascinating, yeah. And I guess also people are probably more open-minded in that respect, perhaps. So maybe the, the institutions are like all the... Yeah. So are you maybe. are you also getting people from like all over the world? Because we do have such a great sex research 
place. <laughs> I don't even know how to call it. <laughs> Definitely no. can draw draw in some international folks for sure. Um, Europe is also a really great center. Not that the U.S. isn't. I don't want to paint it out that way. It's just <laughs> okay. um, sort of um, just because we're such a small country. Like when mm-hmm. we go to international and it's a small group of sex researchers, relatively mm-hmm. speaking, that when we go to conferences like Canada really represents and I've heard in recent years some some comments from international colleagues about that um but certainly you can draw folks in internationally and there are other amazing centers um like in in Europe and things like that and elsewhere um doing great great work that's very cool um that is very interesting we'll bring it back um We'll talk after this as well when I how I can volunteer for your research. But uh, um, I'd actually love to just take us to uh, contraception because I know that you work a lot in that as well. Um, and I really just we would love to know just like what what are the long term effects um, psychologically because I know that that's a part of what you're studying as well. Like what are kind of some some of the things that we maybe don't know about the psychology behind the um, long-term effects of hormonal contraception. Yeah. So I will just say a a mini disclaimer that I'm not a physician, so I don't have an MD, but I am a, a psychologist. I can comment on the research. So when it comes to, um, looking at long-term effects of hormonal contraception on on sexual desire, the the results are a little bit mixed. So in 2019, the European Society for Sexual Medicine put out a position statement saying that, you know, there's not enough evidence that contraceptives have impacts on sexual desire. It's too much of a mixed picture to have a definitive answer of like, yes, there is a link. Mm-hmm. Um, I was reading a more recent paper. So it's a meta-analysis, which means they take a bunch of studies and look at the results across all of the studies. And so this is like a higher level of um, rigor than just doing one study, one snapshot. Mm -hmm. And they did see that hormonal contraceptives do um, impact in terms of having lower sexual desire, but it's still sort of mixed in terms of different study results. And certainly there hasn't been enough longitudinal research. So Mm -hmm. looking at people using it over time, trying to put all the the data points together to make definitive conclusions. So it's a bit of a mixed bag, but certainly many people experience um, changes to their sexual desire on hormonal contraceptives, but it's not at the level where it's so widespread and so pervasive that it's something that... Maybe people just don't want to admit it, or what do you think about that? Well, that's always a factor with self-report research. Mm -hmm. Um, But usually there's enough things in place that um, like enough anonymity that people feel like they can respond honestly. Um, But definitely, I think it's an area that needs more research, certainly, because so many people take hormonal contraceptives. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's a it's quite a large population of, of people. I think it's huge. I mean, from a personal point of view, I, I was 17 when I first took the pill. And I'm 50 and I literally have just come off, you know, other than pregnancies, come two pregnancies have come off hormonal contraception. And it's not until being 50 that I've actually sort of occurred to me, oh, you know, going because now I'm going through all these sort of like the ups and downs post that. It just doesn't occur to me that, of course, you've done this to yourself. 
what's going to happen to you. But I don't think you're not, nothing is, not enough is discussed, especially young women. You know, I, I went on the pill. It was in the UK. There was absolutely zero discussion about what this could do to to that part, your intimate part of your life. It yeah. was more about, in my case, and I still see it today because I have daughters, if you have very bad period cramps, if you have acne, if you have any of those serious things and it's very hard to function, the mm-hmm. first thing is always mm-hmm. contraception to take the pill. Yes. Because what is the other solution? And what I've seen from myself and from you know looking at young women is that uh, and having daughters is that the, the good outweighs the bad i they have such bad cramps and so many other issues that they take it and it stops but there is Mm -hmm. no discussion at any point generally because you're quite young when you're taking it and often you're taking it before you're sexually active because you're taking it for other reasons there's no discussion at all what this is actually going to do long term to your hormones and i can just say from a personal point of view didn't even think about it until now until the end of the journey which is madness Yes, certainly, certainly. And I, it is true that there's, that could be a little bit more rigorous in terms of informed consent, or at least a discussion around Mm -hmm. the factors. Certainly, there is also some, I think this area is growing from Mm -hmm. the professional societies that I'm in. There's also some concern around folks who go on to hormonal contraceptives and then develop um, chronic genital pain. So Mm -hmm. it's not that huge amounts of people are, but there is a subset of the population that experiences this, um, this effect. And it, again, it needs more research. So, um, certainly I think we will see those changes. Sometimes it can be a little bit precarious to, to talk about this because the birth control pill was such a revolution for, of course, for feminism. So it can be a little, tricky of a dance to to do where you don't a lot of people don't want to be perceived as anti um birth control but there's maybe some nuance there that we could capture and yeah and address it's it's so funny you say that like i was um i follow one of these great great uh, feminist accounts who are like you know they just want to put put studies out there like just put the information out there like get people's opinions and like um i have only been on birth control for like three months my entire life and then i was mm-hmm. like mm, i don't want to be on this and i've just used condoms and other things to like not be pregnant um but i was lucky enough not to have these crazy period cramps and all these other things so i'm just not mm-hmm. you know that's and that's just my life but um it. yeah so it's it is just so funny like when you see um these comments on these instagrams that are like oh you know, these people have, there's so many women who have such problems with the pill. And I know you're not a medical doctor, but um, like we do not talk about how many problems. Um, obviously, there's a lot of positives, but there's so many problems mm-hmm. that are not discussed before it's prescribed. And it's so infuriating because mm-hmm. um, we're just kind of like, no, it's going to solve all your problems. Like, it's great. It's a magic little pill. <laughs> yes. Take it at yes. 16 until you're 50. Like, it's really, it's yeah. really crazy. So, I mean, do you, do you think that there's anything like, I mean, from this brand of mine, is there anything positive coming out of um, like, do you see the research getting better? Like, how can maybe our audience even like, are, can they like sign up somewhere where they can, you know, say their opinion or anything like that? Do you know Get of anything like that? Yeah. Yeah. So that's a def- definitely um, 
I do think there is a shift happening. So um, it's definitely something that I've noticed where there's more, it's even from the time where I would have been like in my teens to now, I, I just feel that there's more pause or maybe acknowledgement. And I obviously have a bit of like a inside view of the medical system due to my job. But I think there is more acknowledgement from a lot of gynecologists that, okay, like there could be some adverse um, consequences of mm-hmm. the birth control pill in the sense of like unwanted effects. And mm-hmm. yes, I do think that's shifting. I, I feel that it's palpable. Um, one organization that people could look into um, is ISWISH. So it's the International Society for uh, the Study of Women's Sexual Health. So it is a professional organization, but they do um, outreach. And the reason I'm thinking of ISWISH is because they have um, done some public work around the potential effects of birth control on vulvovaginal pain. So mm-hmm. if you have, I can send this to you after we yeah, chat we'll, if you're we'll interested and you could share um, if people want to read a little more about that. Yeah, no, I think, I mean, just to sort of a last comment about from from my point of view, again, I always like to caveat it's my point of view, is I do think that when I was 16, 17, all my friends were all going on the pill. Mm-hmm. There was mm-hmm. no question, didn't think about it, just go on the pill. And I do see a lot of young women today, just to add to that, they are actually thinking about it because I think they're much more well-informed mm-hmm. and they do think, oh, maybe this isn't for me. Maybe I... So I do think that is actually very positive to sort of yeah. add to what you say. I do see it from my own personal point of view. Yeah. So I do think that's good. But it's not, you don't have to do it. I mean, people thought I was crazy for not going on it, like mm. when I was a teenager, you mm. know, and like, it was just, my mom was against it and the fact of not me taking it. She's a very feminist person, but like, she just didn't want me on it. And I saw her point of view and I was like, yeah, you're right. I don't need to be on this. So, um, obviously do whatever's best for you, Absolutely, ladies, yeah. people with vulvas, do whatever's mm-hmm. best for you. Yeah. But there are so many options out there now with about yeah. birth control and hormonal or not. So, yeah. and I just think it's an interesting conversation generically, just women taking more care about of themselves like getting being more well informed whatever it is and Definitely. you know and, and especially you know in your work I'm sure that they're coming to see you and that they're more well informed and maybe understanding the breadth of the issues that they have regarding um sexual desire and arousal and and I so it leads on to a question that I have about that as you see couples do you see issues of I guess it's the term is low libido is it more in women than in men is it, um, is it, is it not? Is it just because it ebbs and flows? Is it, you know, I'd be fascinated to, to know if that there is an answer to yeah, that. Yeah, definitely. So we do tend to see low sexual desire in women. It's the most common sexual concern that women have. Wow. About 30% of women at some point in their life will experience low sexual desire. And mm-hmm. at any given time, about seven to 10% of women are um, distressed by their low sexual desire. Mm-hmm. So if you think about that in context, asthma affects about, you know, seven to 9% of people. So low desire is about on par with the sort wow. of frequency of asthma. So it's pretty mm-hmm. common. Um, yeah. and, Doesn't surprise me. Mm-hmm. Right. And so, and that would be low desire that's distressing. So some people have ebbs and flows and they're like, oh, I'm not really worried about it. I understand the context. But these would be people who are like, yeah, I am worried about this, but seven to 10%. Um, and 
certainly we see a lot more women with low desire. It's, it's, Mm -hmm. and in population studies, it tends to be more common among women. There is a a pretty big factor that could influence this. And um, so if there's shame for, for women and people with vulvas to say that they have low desire, the level for um, men and, and male individuals to say it is probably even higher due to this sort of macho type of idea of sexuality that men should always be ready, should always want sex, should right. just be so it's into hard it. dick always. Yeah. Yeah. So this idea that if you don't want sex as a man, oh, what does that mean? Yeah. Um, so I think that could also be a factor that, that inflates the difference. Right. Um, and so, there's this really great book called Not Always in the Mood. And that's mm-hmm. a book more so tailored to men's sexual desire. Because oh, certainly cool. there are men who have low sexual desire and, and they need yeah. support as well. Yeah. And the pressure. I mean, I, yeah. I'd be interested in your comment. One thing I say this to Susie all the time is I feel as a woman that women, we need to be relaxed to have sex men relax to have sex. That's certainly been my experience. Like Mm. I need to have everything around me, like clean and fine and everything. And then I'm ready, right? Sort of thing. Whereas men, like my husband could literally be in a burning house with Mm -hmm. clothes hanging from the ceiling and Mm. he wouldn't, you know, and I find that fascinating. And I wonder if that is, and we've talked about it. We seem, Susie and I seem to feel that common Mm -hmm. uh, commonality. And I wonder if that is actually part of, I mean, it's not very medical analysis, but that that's part of it. It's the way our brains work and how we respond emotionally. And Yeah, and so that really fits into the responsive desire that I was talking about earlier, where it's hard for the responsive desire to emerge if there's like all kinds of stuff in, the, right. in your environment that's like distracting you. Being able to be present is really important for sex, like focusing on what's feeling good, being mm-hmm. in the moment. And so if there's tons of distractions for that, it can be hard to focus in the moment. Um, and so one thing I'll mention about this because mm-hmm. you might be wondering, well, how come men can do it? Or how come your mm-hmm. male partners can do it? Um, one really important piece is this idea of uh, sexual accelerators and breaks. Um, so this is uh, covered in the book by Emily Nagoski, Come As You Are. And it's from mm-hmm. uh, something called the dual control model. And mm-hmm. so think of yourself as a car. Everyone has a gas pedal and a brake pedal. So there mm-hmm. are things that press on your gas pedal and make you want to have sex. Go, go, go. And there are things that press on your brake pedal. No, 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 don't want to do that. And so, you know, the house being messy and thinking of all your responsibilities could be pressing on your brake pedal. And so no matter how sexy the sex is, if you take a car and you press on the brake, you can press that gas until the cows come home. The car is not going to go. Right. Um, Such a good analogy. You have to be able to take the stuff off the brake to make the car go. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. And it's possible that for some men, they have a more sensitive gas pedal. It's easy to press the gas pedal, really hard to press the the brake pedal. So in your couple, you kind of need to think, where's everyone's gas and brake pedal at? And that can help you navigate some differences. Right. And also communication. I go on about this all the time. She does. But talk to each Mm. other. If you don't talk to each other, that's where the problems. Talk isn't sexy. Okay, Mel? Well, oh my goodness, Mel! I'm with you. I am. Yeah. I am so. As a sex therapist, I'm all about the communication. But um, yes, I feel you, Susie. I know it can. It can feel less. less you want to be sexy, um, and you're sexy. like, "Is that okay?" It's like, shut the. F- <laughs> up. 
you're not you're not <laughs> you're not here for it i'm just um, like yeah it can be tricky definitely we know that sex is one of the topics that couples feel the least comfortable talking about like they mm, want to talk so about anything else because right? it's not modeled to us in a mm, lot of yeah. cases like we just so don't true. see it again so it's like oh how do we talk about this but with practice it can be really important and also um not talking about the nitty gritty, like in the moment. So if you're having a sexual yeah. issue, that's probably not the time you want to just like in bed, talk about it. Have an in-depth um, conversation. There. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You it's probably want to set aside a time and not like spring it on a partner um, so that they can feel. And, and what I always recommend as well, um, which we know f- from sex therapy is focusing on what's going well. Yes. So I like this do more of this um i'm into that versus like this is all the things you did wrong and that's well, just, really just common yeah. sense that's so yeah. funny that's life isn't it focus yeah. start with the good stuff and go mm-hmm. to the and yet so we always stuff. do the opposite or at yeah. least i do I'm we focus totally. on the weakness mm-hmm. but yeah like you know talk talk to each other okay, and we get it yeah. no <laughs> <laughs> i could be an advocate for this yes you, um, you have it you have it right <laughs> i agree with you i love it <laughs> Um, I really want to know if you if you have any um, insight into this. What is what is the m- biggest sexual desire you see? Like, is there some sort of like specific um, sexual desire in women? I guess because obviously that's your main research. Is there something that um, you're seeing more of? Like, obviously with your extensive research and like what helps the vulvas get turned on. Mm-hmm. Um, is there something that turns us all on or maybe not all on? Is is there any research showing that? I think that it's, I, I feel that like a broken record, but I think it's really variable. It, it right. just depends what people like. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but what is important is to figure out what you like. So um, mm-hmm. a lot of times, you know, if you're trying to get that responsive desire going, I'm often recommending, you know, some type of sexual content for people to consume. It doesn't have mm-hmm. to be pornography. Some people aren't comfortable for ethical or other reasons of looking at internet porn, for example. But it, there's lots of new apps now to listen to sexy stories or, mm-hmm. you know, you could write your own stories you could fantasize there's lots of different ways but figuring out what you like is critical to you know telling partners or a partner what you like Mm -hmm. to enjoying sexual pleasure on your own through masturbation through touch um so i think more than knowing what works for groups it's important to know what works for you um and erotica or sexual um content can help you figure that out if you're not sure Absolutely. It's interesting, isn't it, that the two things in the world that probably make the world spin, which is sex and money that everyone's interested in, are the two things we can't talk about. And it doesn't matter what culture you're from. Mm-hmm. You know, whether it's sort of a more repressed culture, like my own from England, but or, or to like maybe a more open culture, like nobody can do it. It's fascinating. Yet it's the thing we're all interested in. Mm-hmm. It's the totally. one thing we have all have in common is we so taboo. It's so sexy. We're all mm-hmm. either doing it or thinking about it. Yeah, it's very true. I think it's really vulnerable for people. It brings up a lot of emotions, and mm-hmm. um, a lot of folks are pretty uncomfortable with feeling their emotions or expressing them. Oh, yeah, um, but it's so true. Money and sex are difficult topics of conversation, but they don't need to be. With practice, they really don't need to be. Yeah. 
Um, Absolutely. And then I would love um, one of our last questions here. Um, obviously, you're in education. You know, you're a professor, which is amazing. Um, I'm sure your students absolutely love you. I'm jealous, honestly. Um, <laughs> but seriously, um, what do you think is the the key piece of education that we should be um, sharing with, you know, the population of women? And like, mm. what is missing um, maybe from our day-to-day or you know, to not get us in a hole of shame or, you know, Mm. confused about our sexual desire. Like, what do you, what do you think that piece of education is? Um, let me think. I, to just pick one. (laughs) (laughs) Pick many. (laughs) I I think the one that I would focus on is that women's sexual pleasure matters a -hmm. lot. And Mm -hmm. sometimes, you know, it's, it's sort of viewed as secondary or not as important. So Mm -hmm. really liking, enjoying, being satisfied by sex. Mm -hmm. And there is a large pleasure gap between um, women who are having sex with men versus men who are having sex with women. So heterosexual folks, we know that to just give orgasm as an example, um, Mm -hmm. when men have sex with women, 95% of the time they have orgasms. When women have sex with men, 65% of the time they have orgasms. So that 30% gap. But I honestly thought it would be lower. Yeah. And this is one study. It might be lower. (laughs) But when women masturbate, they have orgasms 95% of the time. Mm -hmm. So it's not a capacity issue. There's not this you know, sex difference where men are able to have more pleasure than women or more desire or anything, but it is an opportunity difference. So if, you know, men and women who are having sex with each other, if they're only focusing on putting a penis into a vagina Mm -hmm. and not stimulating the clitoris at all, not engaging in different sexual activities, then yes, women are less likely to have orgasms with Mm -hmm. that kind of sex. Mm -hmm. So it's important to know that women, you are capable of lots and lots of pleasure. You just need to find out what works for you and what Mm -hmm. turns you on. um, And then try to communicate that with your partners. Mm -hmm. Um, So that would be my message, especially for young women that don't don't scrimp on your pleasure. That is really what a lot of sex is about. Mm -hmm. I think that's Excellent advice. I love that you said that's what a lot of sex is about. I'm like, that's the only thing it's about. No, I'm yes. just <laughs> I mean, there are other factors, but <laughs> but mostly mostly people are having sex for pleasure. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it's a big factor because, you know, reproductive sex is only a small amount of the time. And for I honestly some didn't folks, even think about that. You said that. None. I was like, Reprodu- <laughs> oh, yeah, reproduction. <laughs> reproduction, that old tiny thing. Um, but certainly not the focus of most of the sex that most people are having. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think that's great advice. And I, yeah. I'm, I'm continually amazed how many young men do not understand that because a woman isn't having an orgasm from penetrative sex, he's not doing something wrong. Right. It, 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 she needs, she may need more, and that's not him. He's not at fault, or but that still seems to exist. This idea, and also this idea that if you bring like toys or whatever into the bedroom, that obviously there's something wrong with your the way you're doing it as a man. Right. And I guess with same se- same sex female couples they haven't got those issues so they've sort of disregarded you know they sort of got to the point more um and they know each other they know i mean they they've both got you know a vulva (laughs) 
Right. And there's less, there's less of that gap there, right? (laughs) When using, you know, sex toys, sex aids, um, there's less of that gap because the external stimulation of the vulva, the clitoris uh, is really, really important for sexual pleasure. And so, you know, you need the right tools for the job for sure. You need the right tools for the job. The boys like that. (laughs) It's fantastic. Oh, that's fantastic. Oh, well, we could obviously talk forever. I know. You want to say our last question? Yeah. Um, it's just in the spirit of, you know, our podcast is about sharing our truth, sharing my truth. Is what truth would you share with your younger self? Like we've just talked about education and, and so forth, younger women. But what would you want to share with your younger self? Hmm. Um. I would want to say, this is like a little bit more related to me than sexuality, but I would say to treat sensitivity, like emotional sensitivity as a superpower instead of as, um, you know, a problem and Mm -hmm. uh, because it helps me connect with people and know what's important. So that's what I would want to tell my younger self. Interesting. That's great. I think women are so hard on ourselves because we all have to be so hard all the time and we're like, why am I crying? And it's like, babe, it's okay to cry. Yeah. You have mm-hmm. a lot of feelings. Yeah. Just <laughs> totally. had enough today and oh it's release. But no, I think I th- that's in- yeah, very interesting. Sorry, I just dropped my phone. But um, I think that's that's a very interesting thing to say. I like that. I love that. I like that a lot. Yeah. Um, and I would love to just end this uh, podcast as well with you. If there's anywhere people can find you or more research you want to give them, um, please put your put your plug in. Yeah, of course. Thanks for the opportunity. So the main place that you can find our work um, through the Psychology, Health and Sexuality Lab at UBC or Phase Lab for short um, is on Instagram at the Phase Lab. You'll find us there. Um, And through there, you can find our website where you can stay up to date with the research that we're working on. Um, So some exciting things that are coming down the pipeline in terms of sexual desire in particular is we are going to be doing uh, a randomized clinical trial. So a, a larger study on this couple cool. therapy for low sexual desire. So we're going to start that in summer 2024. And we will be recruiting couples in Vancouver. Um, well, in, in BC, in, in, I'm coming. Uh, <laughs> be there. in BC, in Nova Scotia and Quebec. So Very my, cool. my collaborators are in Quebec and Nova Scotia. So if there are folks out there who are experiencing low sexual desire in one of those provinces and they think they might like to do couple therapy as part of a research study, um, you can just stay on top of at the phase lab and there'll be more details coming. Okay, perfect. What an amazing mm-hmm. opportunity. I'm so yeah, jealous. It's not in Ontario. Yeah. I'm, annoyed. I'm pissed. <laughs> You're pissed. Not that I have low sexual desire, but I would still like to, you know, have my vulva heard. If she wants <laughs> to be is, heard. <laughs> that is prerequisite for the study, but we'll keep your vulva in mind for, for so something much. else. Very much appreciated, Doctor. <laughs> yes. Thank you so much for your time. It's one really wonderful to speak to you yeah. and so interesting. Yeah. Thank Please. you oh, very, thank very you. much. Keep on it doing the Lord's pleasure. work, girl. <laughs> she can't help herself. I'm her, sorry. Thank you for your wonderful podcast. I've really been in, uh, enjoying listening to the episode. So oh, keep up the, the great work so much. of sharing these important messages. Thank you Amazing. very much. And we mm-hmm. hope we can speak again. Yes, yes very soon. Sure. Um, 
And if anyone has any questions, if our audience has any questions, very cool questions, questions for us, questions for Dr. Bouchard um, about desire, low libido, contraception, um, well, you can DM us. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can email us. Go to sherrymerchick.com um, and we will pass them on and we'll have Dr. Bouchard, if she'll come on again um, to answer those questions as well. So we'll talk to you very that. soon, doctor. Sounds Thank great. You so much. Thank, Thank you. you. Have a wonderful day. Rest wonderful day. evening. Thank you. You too. Bye now. Have a wonderful night. Bye. Thanks so much for listening. Please rate and review this podcast and follow us on social at Sharing My Truth Pod. And leave us a voicemail on our website, sharingmytruth.com, to share your stories and experiences with us. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.